0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig, and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it, okay? It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3, kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis, so Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to Ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at Ritual.com skinny.
0: She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to The Skinny Confidential, Him and Her. Uh Aha!
2: just have to dive in and do it. And the first iteration's not going to be perfect. You learn really fucking quickly when it's your own money that you're losing. A, you have to do it. And B, you can teach yourself anything. I think it's bullshit in the corporate world that people have these jobs that are so focused. Like, not only do I work in influencer marketing, I only do the, the pre-sale decks. I don't do the whole gamut of everything. It's like if you need to figure out how to find a factory or how to ship things or you can figure everything out.
1: Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. Today's episode is with Rachel Zielik. She is the mastermind between all your favorite brands. That's right, Style Stalker, The Jet Set Diaries, and Majorelle, which are all sold on the trendy site that most of you guys know of, Revolve. She's also the VP of Influencer and Talent Relations at Click Media. This girl knows her shit, let me tell you. I had the pleasure of going out to dinner with her and one of my favorite influencers, Rumi Neely, we went to the Sunset Towers, and we had the best conversation. They're both so smart. Rumi's actually going to be coming on the show soon, too. And um, I just found both of them to have so much valuable information about this space, so I invited both of them on the show. All right, Michael, Taylor. We got Taylor on today. Taylor, my, hopefully your mic is hot, like we told you.
3: My mic is always hot, Whoa. just like me, always <laughs> It's
0: not hot. always hot. You're lying, and you're also not always hot. You, you're just... It's, it's actually, I'm actually extremely surprised that you were ready to go.
1: Taylor, what's been going on in your life lately?
3: Oh, just a lot of work, a lot of Dear Media stuff we're constantly working on new things. So we're constantly evolving. Like myself as a person, I'm always evolving, always learning, always becoming better. And I'm taking all of the criticism and critique that you guys talk about on the show and I apply to myself. So I am the best person I've ever been.
1: What's Uh, something that you've learned from the show that's brought you a lot of value?
0: Yeah. And honestly, I want to know what's going on in between all of that stuff, because (laughs) we haven't heard. Listen, I know that you're not just keeping it level. I know there's been some creepy stuff going on.
3: Yeah, you're right. Actually, I can't really remember one particular specific piece of advice that you guys talk about because I always listen. You to
0: literally them. just said you're learning all sorts of advice, and you now you can't remember. You one can't thing.
1: remember one thing.
0: Hey, well,
3: it's fine. It,
0: you know, no, it's
1: not fine. I love to put you on the spot. You can't remember one thing that you've picked up from the show. You what know,
3: the hell are you doing back there the whole time we're recording? You're I have in every one session. One story that I always think is funny. It, this is this is very very short. So you guys always talk about like efficiency and this and that, like how to be efficient. I want to give like an example of inefficiency that. There was this one time when the, the time zones changed and the, the clock in my car instead of like I didn't change it right away. Everyone's like roll their clock back, you know, an hour before, like right when the, the clock changed. There was this time that I waited about a month and I thought, OK, well, fuck it. It's about a month. Sooner or later, it was like eight months, then nine months. And I thought, OK, perfect. There's not even a reason to change it because the time change is going to come back up again. So I just waited an entire time change. And then finally the clock resynced back. Taylor, up. what
0: are you, you talking I swear about? To God, you, you're somebody, like, when I describe you to people, I say, Taylor's stories have a beginning, no middle, and no end. What is going on with you back there? Wait, what?
1: So you learn from our podcast how to be inefficient.
3: No, I was just trying to give an example of, of being inefficient.
0: Why would you, I mean, listen, the whole show is about bettering <laughs> yourself, learning how to be efficient, learning how to manage time, learning how to push yourself to better, why? would you... So what you're doing is you're taking the opposite?
3: No, no. I'm just trying to let the audience okay. know. This is an example of what not to do.
1: Okay. Well... <laughs>
3: I'm setting the happy Tuesday. Setting the stage is what I'm doing.
1: You're setting the stage. Okay. Well, uh, I have some news. My dad's restaurant has finally opened in San Diego. I'm so excited. If you guys are there, you gotta go in. Um, If you travel there or you're a tourist there, it's amazing. They have the best cocktails. A lot of them I gave my opinions on, and their food's insane. And they have so many Instagrammable spaces. We're obsessed. It already has five stars on Yelp. Everyone is in love. It's called I'll Say 101, and it's in Solana Beach on the
0: Pacific Coast Highway, the 101. Lauren, hence 101.
1: Yes, hence 101. And Taylor has been known to be at the bar there.
3: The opening of it was the f- last time that I like officially blacked out from drinking. You blacked out oh, that what night.
0: A, what a rave review. Well, listen. Yeah,
3: it's the, got the, a good the, water the grand opening. Yeah. yeah. I blacked out It was a lot of tequila I mean I was
1: a little buzzed up myself I feel like you had to help me to The car
3: I think you knocked over a chair At one point
0: (laughs) Hence to say We had some input on The bar
3: menu
1: Yeah the bar menu Is bomb guys Definitely try it out I think you'll like it And
3: order the big bowl of chili It's delicious It is delicious Chili Mmm (laughs) Right.
1: <laughs> On that big bowl of chili note, let's welcome Rachel Zelek to the skinny confidential him and her show. She is an entrepreneur. She is a badass and she is the creative director behind all your favorite brands. Rachel, welcome to the show. Knock, knock. Who's there? Thrive Market.
0: Again, Thrive Market. We've been talking about these guys for a long time. One of our favorite brands, one of our favorite all-time partners. Lauren is laughing hysterically because we like to do... With Thrive Market, we love to jump in and do different transitions.
1: It's just because I'm so obsessed with this brand, and I literally use it every single week, and it's all over my Instagram stories. I love doing a haul for you guys. I have a curated page. It's honestly my favorite partnership.
0: This is one of the best brands, too. It's not like they're not giving some big script and some big brief. They know their product and their service is so damn good. They know they don't need to script anything. We can just talk about it organically. Give us a page, list our favorites, share it with the listeners, and boom, everybody wins.
1: Here's my three standout stars right now. They have a raw almond butter that is so good. It's all raw almonds. You know what you're getting. They've done all the research for you. And I love to do that on a cauliflower thin with mashed berries. So it's kind of like a PB&J. And then I also right now I'm loving their rose water. I like to use it after I do my skincare. You guys know I love a mist. I mist it all the way down to my tits. It's insane.
0: And you know, we've been talking about all the basics like Lauren listed and it's all on the site. But one thing that we haven't talked about in a long time is the supplements and vitamins. This is where I get all of my supplements and vitamins. This is where Lauren gets hers because everything is sourced 25 to 50% below retail and they source the best ingredients. Supplements and vitamins can get really expensive and I also want to know that whatever ones I'm buying, I'm getting the best of. So we listed it all out on our Thrive Market page, which is thrivemarket.com skinny. All of these products are on constant reorder every month, delivered straight to our door, and they're all 25 to 50% below retail. So you're saving time and you're saving money.
1: So knock, knock, it's Thrive Market, 25% off. Go to thrivemarket.com skinny for 25% off plus free shipping on your first order. That's thrivemarket.com slash Guys, take advantage of this, get the spicy Arbiata sauce, throw in the rose mist, even some fiber gummies, some calm magnesium, they got you covered.
0: And when you sign up with that link, make sure you check out the curated page so you can check all of the items, ingredients, supplements, vitamins, all the things we've talked about, thrivemarket.com slash skinny. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her.
1: Rachel Zellick is here. Guys, we are so excited. How many months pregnant are you? Eight, nine. I don't know. Pregnancy, I think, is
2: 10 months. I think they lie to you. They
1: lie. I I'm heard very
2: lie. fucking pregnant. <laughs> I'm going to
1: pop in four weeks. Can you imagine me this pregnant at six in the morning?
2: Did
0: Lauren say that the politically correct way? Because I asked earlier, I said, How far along are you? Is that the way to say it?
2: I- I'm not fussy. I'm, I'm not like, Say correct. it. I'm not politically correct. Lauren I'm like, Say it like how, how it, it is.
0: is. She looks like the Unabomber this morning. <laughs> she <does. laughs>
2: She looks like Britney Sucker breaks. Yeah, I, oh I,
1: I need an umbrella <laughs> and like no shoes at the gas. station. Yeah, totally. OK, Rachel. So for those of you who don't know Rachel, can you give us a little bit of backstory on you and your journey of how you got here? Because I want to go back like way back.
2: Yeah, I'll start from the beginning. So maybe like 2006, 2007, I was in college in Australia. I'm from Sydney, Australia studying law and advertising. And I basically would travel, I would travel every summer, like work like the shittest, weirdest, odd jobs, maybe like one of my favorites, I like drove a forklift in a nice in a hardware store and save up my pennies and go to Europe and would just like shop there like crazy. And forklift it, job only paid in pennies? <laughs> actually it paid really fucking well because it just paid really well and it was great. One of my favorite jobs ever. And I would go to Europe. Shop a lot, come back with all this dope shit. And there was nothing, nothing like that in Australia at the time. There was the cheaper end of clothing that was just really shitty. And then there was Australian designers who were amazing, but they were really expensive, like three, four hundred dollars for a little dress or whatever. So me knowing nothing about fashion, just knowing that I couldn't, I was in college and I couldn't find cute shit that I wanted, started a clothing line and knew nothing, literally Googled like. Factories or <laughs> nice. <laughs> what is a season? Like, no idea. So, that line was called Style Stalker and it took off really quickly. I think the first season we're in 150 stores in Australia, which 150 stores don't even exist anymore in Australia. It's, it's
1: so hold on. So, so you just are Googling how to do this. Yeah. How do you take it from that to? It being in 150 states. Because
0: I have an article pulled up right here and it says how this law school grad became the mastermind, <laughs> mastermind behind so your favorite fashion brands.
2: Well, there are a couple. So we started with Style Stalker. And what was the question? How did I
1: just, how did you take it? You, you're Googling this idea. Uh, and you take it from this idea. And s- did you, is, was, what were tangible steps? Okay. That you took so I think
2: there? the most practical, tangible first step was getting a sales agent because it was a primarily wholesale business and once that happened it was crazy because we were I literally had like 10 samples in a bag and would like show up for these meetings just a kid not knowing what I was doing and then the sales agents they their job was obviously to go and sell it into boutiques and department stores and whatever and then literally within the first season of having that sales agent, she placed it in 150 stores. And that was wild because you then have to pay for the production on that in advance. So literally my mom and my business partner's mom at the time took mortgages out on their house to front the money for production, Damn, which I would not do for my 21 year old kid. Like, bless. Thanks mom. Like, I don't know. It was crazy. I mean, I wouldn't have asked for that if the orders weren't guaranteed, but it's still a risky business. I mean, stores go out, go out of business. Like they don't pay, like whatever. But luckily, you know, we paid it back pretty much straight away as soon as we delivered the goods. So that was, yeah, the first like big tangible step. And then I think beyond that, this is where influencers came into play because I was 20 and in the influencer space, I mean, it was bloggers then and no one even thought of it as what an industry. Was I think it was 2006, 2007, yeah. Yeah. So
1: it was like Rumi was, Rumi, I mean, Rumi still is, she's so major and iconic, (laughs) but she was, she like, was I feel like the first blogger.
2: Absolutely. She was the first one I discovered. There was just a handful of girls. It was such a like cool community then. It wasn't no one was thinking to monetize. And it was so simple. I was 20. They were like we're all the same age. And I was like, hey, I make this dope shit. Do you like it? I like what you do. I'll send you some stuff. And I think sort of. Accidentally, I was probably one of the first people doing influencer seating, just very organically and naturally, and always just kind of valued those relationships. So, you know, to your earlier point, I've kind of watched the space grow. I've been friends with, with who you know, girls who became now the biggest influencers. I've been kind of friends with them from the beginning and watched them grow their business. So I really sort of understand things from their perspective.
0: I want to know, so you've been here since 2006 was a long time. That's earlier than us. And I want to know what you've seen to work in the long run and what you've really seen to not work. Because since you were early on with a lot of these creators, you've seen people really like skyrocketing. You've also seen people fall off. What do you think the, the formula there is?
2: I think the formula is it sounds so cheesy, but you have to enjoy it and you have to be, like, coming at it a pl- from a place of passion and creativity. I think you have to be filling a white space as well. Like, now people ask me, oh, you know, micro-influencers, like, how do I grow and da 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 And it's like, uh, you can do certain things, but if you're not, the world doesn't need another cookie-cutter fashion influencer. You've got to be doing something different. And that's got to be driven first and foremost, I think, from a place of fun and creativity. Like I said, all the girls who started off, there was no idea that they would make money out of it. Um, yep.
1: It's intention. I talk about this. It's We're saying like I, I say intention, but you're right. It's like fun, passion. Like you have to be in it for the right reasons. reasons. It's so important.
2: It is. And then it's the industry has changed so much. So you need to be able to like refine that passion and refine that white space I mean I feel like we talked about Rumi she was pretty much for the first and then her influencer career in in way in many ways people overtook her in that sense and then she launched RUMI she was one of the first influencers to really launch a brand that was a proper brand and really well thought out and that like launched her into a whole new phase of her career so I think constantly reinventing yourself I think if you want to work in a creative space and you don't love it and have fun with it, then you don't stand a chance. You can't study it. You can't just, it's not a formula, I would say.
1: And what Rumi did really well, I think, playing off your point is she evolved. Exactly. Like you got to evolve. Like she evolved from this, you know, mega influencer that was sitting front row at Fashion Week to a mega brand. I mean, Absolutely. Her clothes, Like I'm obsessed with her clothes. I, I, I can't stop. So after Style Stalker, did you sell that business? And then what came next? So about, I had Style Stalker for about nine years, about six
2: years into it. I moved over here for two reasons. Firstly, my fiance, such an obnoxious word.
1: (laughs) My baby daddy.
2: (laughs) Pete, let's call him Pete. Pete is a musician. We'll side sideline the story a little. Pete is a musician and is super popular in Australia, not so much here. One day, Elton John was in a record store in Sydney and heard his album playing and was obsessed with it, called the boys up, was like, come around for a cup of tea. And then next thing you know, he's like, you're moving to London. You're going to be managed by my manager.
0: So I was like... What are the chances? <laughs> <laughs> no big deal.
1: No. Wait, Elton just called your, your baby daddy <laughs> yeah. and was like... Come over for a cup of tea. Yeah, come over for a cup
2: of tea. And then literally, like, within weeks, he was moved to London. And I was like, I I can't buy him a Bentley. Elton John can buy him a Bentley. I was, like, 22, madly in love. Like, we were so happy. But I was like, Elton John stole my boyfriend.
0: <laughs> and that's possible in multiple arenas. Without, Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he tried. So basically Pete moved to London. I just started the business. The plan was that I would work on the business for maybe like a year to set it up in Sydney and then I would move over there. London's an awesome city. I love it. But my business partner at the time was super controlling. I always like kind of joke that I, because I've been with Pete since I was 20, I avoided all these like shitty abusive male like romantic relationships but I looking back now see that my relationship with my business my first business partner was probably like a textbook case like emotionally abusive relationship so she was super controlling and kept me from moving to London, es- essentially, for four years. We did Long Distance between Sydney and London.
1: And what is Pete's band, just
2: for anyone? Who oh, heard? it's uh, Pinal, P-N-A-U. Okay. Um, but he also writes and produces Empire of the Sun, which you guys might oh, know. Oh, that small from. band
0: that everybody <laughs> has heard of?
2: Yeah. yeah, that's that's bigger in, in the States. But pna bigger in Australia and Europe. So... Where was I at? Oh, yeah. He moved to London. I We just wanted to live together. We did long distance for four years, which I did not recommend, but I'm so glad we made it through. And then L.A. was a place. He's in music. I'm in fashion. For my business, this, the sales for the U.S. weren't quite at the same level as Australia, but they were doubling season on season. And it just felt like a little baby that had no one looking after it. Plus, so much of the influencer industry is here. And because I was the one who looked after the marketing, it just made sense. So we moved 2012 to L.A. And then we started another brand called the Jet Set
1: Diaries. Everyone knows that (laughs) brand, too. I mean, iconic brand. I love the word iconic right now. Can you tell? But it really is. I mean, I've worn that brand forever. That's so crazy.
2: And I think back to our earlier point of what works in the influencer space, same in the design, creative business space, Style Stalker at that point had become, you know, you've got all these different people weighing in. You've got to repeat bestsellers, like 80% of your collections become repeats of bestsellers tricked out in different ways. And there's like sales agents and and. Just a million different people weighing in. But Jet Set Diaries, the first season outsold like maybe by double like a business that Style Stalker that was at that stage already six years because it literally just came from a space of creativity and like we knew how to do it. I knew like the how to go through the motions, but there was no pressure on what it had to be. So yeah, that did really well. And then I, okay, so where it kind of went a bit shaky is that we sold half of the company and the big mistake we made was to sell 50%. Yep. Because no one, I mean, honestly, it would almost have been better to sell 51% because then you just know you've got to like, take it.
0: Because when it's like a 50-50 thing, you hope... So
1: you wish you sold 49%.
2: No, I wish I sold... Yeah, I wish I sold 49%. Well, a lot of
0: people exactly. don't realize in a 50-50, every decision has to be mutual. So it's like if we're, in the, if we're in the car together and you want to go left, like we both have to say we want to go left. Exactly. And if not, you just continue going straight. And so you can't change or do anything new without mutually agreeing. It's It can be kind of like a handcuff situation.
2: Absolutely. It was exhausting. And as I said, my, my business partner, my original business partner... I mean, at times we were like best friends. She was like my sister, but there was also this like weird tension. So she would kind of try to play us all off against each other. Sorry, I sounds so negative, but what I want to, I feel like no one actually, it's probably the biggest problem in business is choosing the right partners and making that work. And I think that's something people don't really talk about. So eventually maybe circa 2015, things were going like super well in the business, monetary-wise, like creative-wise, but I wasn't really that happy. I was having all these problems dealing with my partners. And I met up with Raisa, who's the chief brand officer at Revolve. I didn't know, I sort of knew her from the industry. She's obviously a rad chick. And I firstly just met up with her to get some advice. Like, hey, you seem to get along really well with your business partners. You guys are killing it. Like, what do you have any advice on how I can improve this relationship or whatever? But as I started to kind of describe what I was going through and some of the challenges, she was like, fuck that. We've always been a huge fan. We love what you do. Style Stalker and Jets at Diaries were two of the best selling brands on Revolve. So, like, she's like, fuck them. Come over and do something with us. So I exited that business in 2015 and started Majorelle with
1: Revolve. Tell us about that brand because it is so cute. Um,
2: Honestly, I feel like it's the dream for a creative because as you guys probably know, when you own the business, you get like 95% of your time is spent on boring shit like logistics and dealing with insurance and factories and all of that. Are you
0: hearing that, Lauren? A lot of boring shit.
1: (sighs) A lot of boring shit. Yeah, but go on to the good
2: part. But then the good part, (laughs) like partnering up with Revolve, it was just the creative stuff. And they handle all of the back end. So dream. Dream. It was awesome from that perspective. I also worked across the marketing. So like of Revolve in in total. And that was sick because I had all these relationships, but I finally, we had like money and means to do awesome shit. So, yeah, that was great.
1: And what's the process like of actually creating something? So so if you're going to create there's this really cute pink lace top that I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with on there. How did you, like how do you create that? Do you think like do you have an inspiration board at home? What's the process like?
2: Yeah, so I collect so much inspiration it's like a problem it'll be like thousands and thousands of images and then you kind of narrow that down into a creative brief you're looking for like fabrics prints inspo and then that then gets put into like silhouettes and ultimately you have to narrow down like it runs like oh you do like 60 pieces a month that must be so much I'm like no it's, it's actually difficult choosing my top 60 because there's just like all these ideas but basically you have to narrow them down you're kind of like matching up Fabric silhouettes, vibes. And then do you want to get into the technical part of yeah. it too? Yeah. So you'll then essentially present, even within Revolve, there's even for their own brands, there's a buying team. So you'll present to the buyers. They'll decide what's going to go ahead and what's not going to go ahead into production. And then at that point you do a tech pack. So this is where I'll have a designer come in because I didn't study fashion. I was from the start, I was like, I know what I'm good at and I'm going to make money and outsource the things that I'm not good at. And, like, learning how to do, like, computer, the illu- the very technical illustrations and, like, the measurements and all of that, is has never been my thing. Um, so a designer will come in and sketch it all up, technically do what we call a tech pack, which is just, like, these insane measurements that go into – it's like a pattern but on an Excel sheet, if that makes sense – that goes off to the factory. The factory will send back the first fit. You fit it. I'm super involved in that stage, even though I don't have that classical training. I think it's so important. I think it literally, a garment will come down to like half an inch. Like if it's good or not good, like you, you get so obsessed and then you'll give your comments. Sometimes it'll come back for a second or a third round of fit and then orders get placed and it comes. Like I, I more want to know later. now,
0: like, so... Since you were very early on and you had the benefit of obviously being able to launch at a time when retail, I think, maybe mattered a little bit more. And also at a time when influencer collaborations were somewhat new. And so the the impact was maybe... I don't want to say stronger, but I think it was was
2: definitely stronger.
0: Yeah, it did. You didn't it wasn't as saturated of a space. So it was easy to identify who could move the needle. If you were starting now without the connections you have and you were Mm. getting into this world of fashion or any brand actually online and you were thinking about, okay, how am I going to launch this? What's the strategy? And also, who am I going to launch this with? Like, who am I going to collaborate with? Like, how do you kind of approach that now? Because I know you've also been on the client services side with Click. Like, How do you Mm kind of look at the landscape and when you're consulting brands? Tell them, like, this is how you're going to have an impact here.
2: I think that when it comes to marketing, everyone underestimates the product. The product has to be dope to begin with. Like, everyone doesn't need another clothing line of just, like, moderately cute dresses. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's difficult, but I think new brands can still shine through. But they have to be able to do something really unique and creative. And then ultimately, like, you would know, Lauren, like, if you see something, influences are amazing because they're like tastemakers they're constantly on the lookout it's their job to find good things as well interesting new things as well so I think starting with a product that the world needs it's not just like another
0: not just slapping a label not on slapping servers. I
2: mean Revolve alone has 20 in-house brands now so the amount of product that's just there like what are you doing that's different and then I think Look with influencer marketing now. It's it's really tricky because you can be
0: blunt. You can be blunt. It,
2: it's pretty fucking hard to start out now. Be blunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's pay for play now. Yep. I mean relationships are important, and but they'll only get you so far. And I think to launch something, depending on the scale, you need backing. You probably need um, you need a partner who can support you logistically and and have money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And how do you recommend someone that's an influencer that wants to start a brand to find the right partner? Like, Is there a strategic like sort of formula for that? Have you seen, what have you seen work? What have you seen not work?
2: Yeah, I think that you still need a means of distribution because it's pretty hard to still get customers to come onto your site and make a purchase. Ultimately, they're still going to want to buy something from, Nordstrom or Revolve or something like that. So I think partnering with a big retailer at least initially is a good move. I think doing that as a licensing deal is a good move because you can kind of use that business's infrastructure and expertise for a couple of years to build you up and then consider taking it in a more independent direction later on.
1: So you don't recommend direct-to-consumer at first. You recommend partnering with a retailer and then possibly eventually. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Well, I would say, like, for me, I don't want to disagree, but I'll kind of disagree. I think that you're probably spot on with the majority of maybe tra- traditional influencers that don't understand how to drive traffic to a website sure. and have the financial backing to do that effectively. So I think that route, in most cases, 99% of the cases, doing a licensing deal and partnering with Retail Smart. But if you have the ability to potentially partner with or know yourself how to drive direct consumer traffic, I think it's an extremely smart strategy for people because you can control, one, you have direct relationship with the customer. Two, you have much higher margins. And three, you can kind of scale as you go and you don't have to worry about placing, like you said earlier, massive orders to place into stores. But I think it. you have to know what you can be effective at or not. For people that don't have the backing of being able to run traffic, I think that's a very difficult model.
1: Hold up. We need to talk about Ritual. Okay. Guys, if you have not tried Ritual and you've been a listener of the show, you are missing out. This vitamin has everything in it, okay? It's a multitasker. It has omega-3, B12, D3, vitamin E, vitamin K2, biotin, and more. It's all-in-one vitamin and all is sourced from different places. This is awesome because they went to the best areas to get each vitamin and then put it all in one. Not only that, it's wrapped in this peppermint essential oil, so it tastes minty on your breath. No bad breath with this vitamin. You know what I mean? As you know, I'm a huge vitamin snob. And this is the first multivitamin I've ever talked about on the skinny confidential i was so careful and strategic to really make sure i did the research and found the right one i just feel like vitamins are kind of like deodorant it, it's hard to find the one that you absolutely love but when you find it you just can't stop blabbing your ass off basically this vitamin is the reinvented multivitamin that works smarter to help you fill in the gaps in your diet so if, if you're super healthy and you have your green smoothies like me with spirulina, and you're doing a kale salad with olive oil lemon dressing you still are gonna have those nutrient gaps in your diet so ritual fills it in. Uh, you know this I like to keep it in my bathroom ready to go. it's cute, it's not ugly. it's not an ugly vitamin container like you want it on your Instagram feed. I keep it out on my vanity, I grab and go. I do it in the morning, I do two. It's no nausea capsule design, vegan certified non-gMO and there's no nasty colorants or synthetic fillers. Some crazy facts. 90% of women aren't getting enough D3 and over 70% of women aren't getting enough omega-3. So this has both in it. Also, you need magnesium, especially if you feel backed up. It really, really helps things to move through Yeah, So uh, magnesium is a real standout star. All right. Better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now ritual is offering all skinny confidential him and her listeners 10% off during the first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with essential for women. It's a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com skinny to start your ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at ritual.com skinny. You guys are going to be addicted. You're going to be obsessed. Drop in my DMS and let me know what you think.
2: I also would 100% agree with you depending on what the product is. If we're talking about a full-blown line of clothing, that's so capital-intensive on the front end um, and you don't see the money back for at least a year. It's just so hard to cash flow. In that scenario, partner up with someone. If you have, like, for example, Amber, filler up with her hair extension line. It's a good
0: direct-to-consumer.
2: Like anything like that that's more focused and it's a – smaller product range like
0: in higher margins maybe on the skew. exactly yep. a
2: summer fridays like yep. launching with one product i think's fucking brilliant in that case i would 1000 percent agree with you so um, we're talking more like large
0: fashion line, exactly
2: so. sorry i was talking like if you want to launch like a full-blown line like ariel something navy with nordstrom i don't think it would have been the same success if it was independent from the start
0: i agree no i, I 100% agree i
1: agree what I'm hearing in this conversation so far is that you created and designed your future because you you started out not knowing anything about anything and you basically taught yourself along the way. So many people I'm noticing, and I, w- I wanted to talk to you about this last night, but we didn't get a chance and we couldn't talk this morning because <laughs> it was too early. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: can't it, believe we're talking now. I know. It's, it's
1: hard. I'm like waiting for the months to go. <laughs> She's being so nice. The monster saved for my <laughs> She's
0: Yeah, you won't see that side. That'll be for me Linda. Okay,
1: perfect. <laughs> That's why we've got you here. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people think that they have to get all these credentials before they do something or they need to get to step A and then to B and then to C. They don't just sort of immerse themselves in it and and fail over and over and over to learn. Can you sort of speak on that? Because I, I find that very... I don't hear a lot of people... Talk about creating their own future like you have.
2: Yeah, I think absolutely you just have to dive in and do it. And the first iteration is not going to be perfect. You learn really fucking quickly when it's your own money that you're losing. And I think you, yeah, you just have to, A, you have to do it. And B, you can teach yourself anything. I think it's bullshit in the corporate world that people have these jobs that are so, focus. Like not only do I work in influencer marketing, I only do the the pre-sale decks. I don't do the whole gamut of everything. It's like, if you need to figure out how to find a factory or how to ship things or how to, you can figure everything out. If you have Google now, you've Google exactly. If you're like a reasonably intelligent person and you have access to Google, you can figure anything out. So I literally have no time for people who are like, oh, but I haven't done this before, but I don't know how to do this, or I'm gonna like I'm gonna study and I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna like do this in five years. It's like, nah, the moment's now.
0: Just do it. I mean, everything that we've done ever has been I mean Everything has been just by jumping in. I think yeah. we're living in where people are getting fucked up now. Is they're like, okay, I'm going to study this. I got to go to school for this amount of time. I'm going to take this course. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to do like you can study yeah. and learn all you want, but if you don't actually take action, all of it is useless. I okay. want everyone to understand. Like if you, no matter what you study, what degree you have, what course you've taken, what expertise your background, who, what credential, if you don't take massive action, it's all completely useless.
2: Totally. I really think so. I kind of had the opposite career journey to. Most Most people, and that the first nine years I worked for myself and started a business, and now I have what I would describe as like my two dream jobs. We'll get into we haven't even touched upon what I do at Click, but I think it should almost be compulsory for people to work for themselves for the first like couple of years in the industry because you you know you don't no one's there to baby you. You have to figure shit out. You if you fuck up, you lose your own money. You have an appreciation what I've learned. And it to me it's so obvious because the first nine years it was my money, so every decision you're like, okay, do I need this or this? Or you just think about the company as the company's interests first, and you make like smart, strategic financial decisions.
0: You feel like a real impact if you fuck up. You
2: feel an impact, and absolutely, and in the reverse, if you do something great, you feel the positive financial impact. Whereas I think in the corporate world, there's this really a disassociation between the money that you're spending on things. Also, time is money. So you can't come in and spend, I don't know, 10 hours on something that really doesn't have any impact on the business. So I almost think it, yeah, it should be compulsory, like go out and start a business. It doesn't have to succeed, but that's really the best training you could get. If you took the money that you would have spent on college and instead invested it in a business, I think you would learn so much more. And Agreed. At, at the end of the, whatever, five years, I you however long people
0: spend in college. You know who actually did that? was We were talking about him earlier, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, yeah, yeah. He took like a, what it would cost him to go to school. I don't know MBA. how long. Yeah, would, yeah, and he took that money and just used it to practice investing with the assumption that he would lose all of it, but he would learn as much doing that as he would by actually going to school. Yeah, and I the, think Now look genius. at that guy, obviously. I yeah. feel
1: like I've learned more podcasting than I did in all my years of school. Oh, all the people you speak to? Uh, like, I mean, put on a podcast. I, I always say my mentors are Tim Ferriss, Gary B, Ed Milette, the Balance Blonde, who like, because you have access to them now. There's really no excuse. What are, and you know, this is one of my favorite subjects, what are your productivity hacks? What do you do to be super productive? Because you do get a lot done and you're eight months pregnant and you're still hustling. Can you share with us some, some tips, some hacks?
2: Well, I love the productivity cube that I discovered through you. I think the biggest thing about productivity is focus. So, literally put your put your phone in a drawer lock it up put it on airplane mode and use that cube i use it alongside this productivity journal i think it's just called the productivity journal and basically it's like the pomodoro method yep. where you, I think you guys have talked about that before, right? Not the right? journal. Tell us about the journal. Oh, so the journal's just laid out. It forces you to set seven, just seven things you're going to do for the day in order of priority. So if you just got one thing done for the day, it would be a success. And then after that, the next three things. And then beyond that, I think you get I don't know, four things. And then you have these little bubbles that you fill in. So you estimate, okay, I think you could tackle it either way. I need to finish this report. I think it's going to take me an hour and a half. So you give yourself like three bubbles and then you just kind of like track it in 30-minute blocks. Or you can do it the other way. Maybe if it's a bigger project. Hey, I'm writing this novel. I want to spend an hour on it each day. You can like allow yourself an hour each day. Um, and then just fill out the little bubbles and then
1: And filling out with the it. little bubble is oh, so satisfying. So satisfying. Yeah, I mean, it like literally gets me horny.
2: Oh, my God. Same. And if you beat, you're like, you. oh, I estimated this was going to take an hour and a half and it took an hour. You're just like orgasmic. Michael's like
0: joking. <laughs> <in the street. laughs> I got I to gotta look into that journal. I don't think I've seen yeah. it.
1: Yeah. What do you do to set yourself up for a successful morning? Do you know what? I'm not really a morning routine
2: person. Night routine? Oh, no. Morning, I'm literally just, I have so much energy in the morning that I'm like, out, I'm out the door in like 10 minutes. And you, now you're Tim, talking my language. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Michael, I have to. Do I just want to get things. to work. Like, I don't.
1: I have to fill in a thousand bubbles before I talk.
2: I get it. And you I know? feel like weird because I'm obviously also a huge Tim Ferriss fan. And I feel like that's the number one thing he asks all his guests. Like, what's your morning routine? I'm like, I don't. I just like get up, throw something on, do my makeup in the car, out the door. Like, I just want to get into well, it. Well, that's your
0: routine. Right. Like you don't have to. I, I feel That's like your
1: routine. you don't have to have a routine.
2: Not
0: everybody has to have this formulaic thing, Lauren. OK, okay
1: I, I have to have it or I'll be a complete bitch. You know, <laughs> don't don't fuck with my routine. You know what's going to happen. So tell us about Click. Just like wrap it up about yeah. how you also are the creative director of this clothing brand. But you also are. I want to say you are. You can describe it better than I You're The head of the influencer agency at Click?
2: Yeah, so we have essentially... Ascens- Click is the parent company of who, what, where. It used to be My Domain and Birdie, but we recently sold those off. Under that umbrella, I run an influencer
0: marketing agency.
2: So uh, when did it start? About two years ago. So
0: do you still work in this office?
2: Yeah, just D- downstairs. downstairs, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, so
0: you come here every day. Yeah. I was saying I was so sad that you guys left this floor because now there's a bunch of men from Pluto TV that are just... A- gusting in the bathroom they're just in there all the time I hope they I hope they listen to this podcast and hear this and clean themselves up clean, clean your act up Pluto
2: actually it was so funny when we we're on this floor because I'm doing deals all day with DBA yeah and I would bump into them in the bathroom I'd be like halfway through a deal I'd be like yo you like owe me an email like what's
1: gonna <laughs> like, amazing yeah like come on you that know you're getting can... me... such bad anxiety yeah. I'd be like <laughs> wouldn't go to the bathroom. I'd hold it. <laughs> I would always be like, come on,
2: like, you know, you're going to make this work for me. Yeah. So I'm just downstairs and essentially it's a full service influencer marketing agency. So as I said, just cause I've been in the space, I've been in the space since the beginning and I've been friends with all the influencers. So I've really seen everything through their eyes, but I've always been on the brand side. So I equally understand the brand's perspective. They need to get ROI. They need to hit certain goals and always with my friends who'd be like oh I don't understand why the brand's doing this and like I almost see my main job as a translator between the two I can help influencers to understand like why the brands are asking for what they're asking for and and help them to clarify like hey what are your goals because the goal's are so different for every campaign, right?
0: Well, a lot of influencers fuck up bad because uh. they look at it as like, this is a sponsor. It's like, no, no, no. This is, it's called brand partnerships. Mm-hmm. This is a partner. So that means that it needs to, like you need to be on the receiving end of a of finance, right? Like you're making money for creating yeah. content and, and sharing with your audience. But the other end, like the brand needs to see a direct benefit to that or else like, why are they paying you? Absolutely. But people and don't understand that. The brand is your reason. client.
2: It's, it's a really bizarre thing. That's like the fundamental, Mental miss I think with a lot of influencers is you're an influencer you're in a client services business you know you need to service that client and those clients
0: talk to each other
2: absolutely yeah oh yeah I think every agency or every person has their like blacklist and so when
0: influencers <laughs> if you're listening and you're fucking up with brands or you're not com- or you're not putting time into that partnership like it's not like that's the only ancillary brand that's going to know other no. brands are going to know and you're going to be listed on
2: Absolutely. And I think the way the marketplace is, I mean, the influencer marketplace, like any other marketplace, it's supply and demand, right? And I think in the past, influencers obviously, and even up until now, have a lot of power because they just held the power in terms of the supply. There weren't as many like really good ones. And now there are so many, so many great influencers, so many good ones, so many bad ones, just so many influencers out there. I think- we'll start, we'll see prices go up maybe still for another like year or two, but then just like any marketplace, I think we're going to see.
0: It's going to stabilize.
2: It's going to stabilize and come down, especially as brands start to understand the analytics behind it more and are not making emotional decisions just about like a, oh, I've followed so-and-so for five years. I want her. Okay, well, I can show you this other influencer who has like way better stats across the board, has a lookalike audience, like if...
0: And people stop buying on, like, a macro number and start actually buying on, like, translation and understanding who has engagement, it's going to change a little bit.
2: Yeah. um, I mean, so many metrics that they need to understand. I'm, like, a total nerd because I can get way into, like, all the metrics behind it. But Let's um, talk about
1: conversion because I think for a while brands were looking at the number on people's Instagram following. Like, they were just looking if you had a million plus, like, Mm -hmm. you're in. I'm seeing a huge shift with that. I'm seeing brands want to really look at people's engagement and yep. comments. Can you sort of speak on that?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think at first it was just following. Then the last like year or two, engagement has been the buzzword. But I think that's also really misunderstood. That's a lot of old school marketers, maybe people in their like 40s, 50s who were just desperate to cling on to one metric to represent everything so they wanted the engagement rate to represent your ability to convert how actually engaged your audience was how like just just sum up basically your influence in one number unfortunately it can't do that like you would see people engage if you write if you throw up something controversial you're going to get a ton of engagement that's not necessarily valuable engagement for a brand it's not like what are the product benefits of the thing that you're advertising? So I think engagement rate is important to look at, but amongst a m- number of other things. I think people are missing the most important thing about engagement rate. Literally no one talks about this and it's like the 101, is that the engagement rate drives the algorithm for impressions. So you could have one influencer with a million followers who's getting like five followers thousand eyeballs on a piece of content and you could have another influencer who and I don't know the exact algorithm but it's driven by engagement you could have another influencer with a million followers who's getting 750,000 eyeballs on a piece of content so that's like obviously like a huge difference and definitely something marketers should be looking at because follower doesn't really mean anything It's how many people actually saw the piece of content. I agree. And then to your point, conversion, conversion typically has been so hard to measure because think about your own behavior. How often do you swipe up or click a link and buy something on the spot? Even if you do, it's usually a lower priced item, usually off somewhere convenient like Amazon. And I would switch from the chunky kind of Instagram browser. I would switch to my Amazon app.
0: Yep. and order it through there. So, Or how often do you see something and then send yourself an email reminder to go look at it later? Or, or
2: how often or save do you it? drive
1: by a billboard or open a magazine and you, Here, and you don't even know you're being influenced? Here's what in I talk end. about. Yeah, that's hard. It's hard to, to sort of find the convert. I can see what you're saying. Or how often do you see it on three influences?
2: And it might be the first one who maybe influenced you the most. But even if you get that direct tracking, it's off the third one and numbers one and two don't get any credit for that purchase. So I think... Brands are super interested in conversion. I think up until now, it's been really hard to measure. But with the introduction of Instagram shopping, like the checkout system, and now I think it was just yesterday or the day before, they introduced that for influencers as well as brands. I think we'll start to see more transparency there.
0: You know what? It's funny because uh, you know, obviously, being doing the Dear Media thing and like talking to brands in this space, we have we're having a lot of the same conversation. What the issue is, and we were talking a little bit about this, like someone like me that comes from banner advertising or DR, where you're actually running traffic to a specific ad and then measuring the click through from that ad to a landing page and then to a checkout. Like people in the advertising space have gotten hung up on the metrics because that was their old formula. You could measure that like a very click, very strict funnel. Yes. But when you're working with podcasters or influencers and you're, they're talking about it on the show, like it's not like just a coupon code, just because it's mentioned, it may not be used. Like Meandy's is a perfect example. You like all of us have heard of Meandy's. Everybody's heard, heard of Square. Everybody's heard of, you know, all of these different platforms. It doesn't necessarily. Four Sigmatic. Four, yeah, <laughs> The best, the best. Maybe I'll put a Four Sigmatic in this show. They But all of these companies, it's like you know about them, you're aware of them, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you're going to use that exact code at that exact time. Exactly. It's, and so brands need to understand it's not just DR, it's a lot more. Absolutely. And, and it's that, cumulative. The yes. fact
2: that I've heard about Four Sigmatic on your podcast, on Tim Ferriss's podcast, on, I, I might also just remember to pick that up when I'm at Whole Foods and no one's getting any kind of online credit for those that. those
0: guys are extremely smart with their marketing because they don't get caught up in that whole world of all that bullshit engagement yeah. they just know it's very like long form advertising which is why it's like crushing exactly and
2: it's, and it's a really unpopular thing but I often have to tell clients like you have to look at overall lift in sales as well at Revolve when we would do the trips One of the best ways we could measure was literally to look at a product. So say, Lauren, you wore that pink lacy top. We would look at stock levels on that product for five days before and five days after and see that product lift. And it wasn't through a tracking link. It wasn't – there could have been something else going on, but we would look at, like, overall sales lifts, overall product lift, and, you know – Part of it you have to take that leap of faith and like look where that business is. You know, you know? what it is?
0: Because I've been beating up influencers a little bit, but it's because agencies and brands are lazy and they don't and they want a simple number yeah. with a simple thing. They don't want to yeah. go in and actually look at a specific product and yeah. measure product lift because it makes more work for them. But like you have like that's the only way to correlate it all. You have to do that.
2: They're lazy and I think they're scared. What I've learned is like with a lot of big corporations, let's so serious influencer money is coming from bigger, more established corporations. And there are just so many layers of people in between who don't feel empowered to roll the dice and like take a chance and like look at it holistically. They're also, they need to get it down to one or two numbers to put into a report that then gets passed like up the ladder. So I think, yeah, I think that the whole industry is a little bit skewed by the obsession on the idea that you're going to funnel everything down into like one or two
0: numbers. The funny thing is about those agencies though, they're still the ones that are doing TV commercials that don't Absolutely. work and banner uh you know like billboards media, old and media. print magazines, but they're te- they've told themselves for the last 60 years like that works and so they'll still do that, but then at the same time they'll question a new media that's obviously crushing and working, but they'll question that. It's, yeah, that's very- what I
2: find so bizarre because How how do they measure a billboard to that degree? But they want the most insane amount of trackability on an influencer.
0: They don't.
1: It's crazy. I would love to know your opinion on different mediums. Like, where do you see attention going in the future?
2: I mean, I love podcasts. I think this is something you talk about is that this time is the ultimate commodity these days. And the fact that you can listen to a podcast while you drive, while you do your makeup, I, you know, it's essentially giving people back the gift of time. So I think podcasts are really important, but I also see the space becoming saturated really quickly. I think I think with everything that Instagram's implementing, it's really cementing itself as here to stay, right? Like they almost introduce a new product to take on every single competitor. They put stories, you know, booted out Snapchat. I think with the, with the introduction of shopping, it really concretes itself as like a platform, like a Google that's like here to stay. Obviously for the next generation, YouTube is such a big space. And then I don't know, I think there's all these other, you know, like TikToks on the rise now, there are these other things that will come and go. And I think as a brand, you should engage with them in a small way and really creatively. Like I saw um, brands typically have a really hard time working with Snapchat. It's not like set up to, it's, work with influencers as easily as, say, like an Instagram. But IKEA did a really interesting campaign with these YouTubers. They're called, like, Superfruit. They're, like, this comedy YouTube duo. And they really had to – IKEA had to partner with Snapchat to build out this gaming functionality where it was almost like a choose-your-own-adventure of, like, decorating your dorm room college. So I think it's definitely good to play with those new platforms, but I think podcasts, Instagram are here to stay. I'm a little bit, I want to know what you guys think about like blogs. I know everyone's like, own your email list, own your blog. I just think, still think it's so hard to get people
0: there. I'll tell well, yeah. Well, I think it's hard to get people anywhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. po- what I what I always firmly believe in, whether it's YouTube, podcasts, Instagram, blogs, emails, is like talent rises to the top, right? Like if you have the chops to use any of those mediums and reach an audience effectively, like you will, you will be seen. Where people get saturated, it's like maybe they're kind of like phoning it in or half-assed, or maybe they just don't have the talent to be on a medium, and so that becomes very difficult to to and effectively. But we know, like I'll, I'll just shout out our friend, like her name's Katie. She has a, a blog and a brand called Wellness Mama. She has one of the most powerful email lists ever. Like she is consistently driving traffic for massive brands like Mm -hmm. Thrive and Force Sigmatic, Mm -hmm. top affiliate. Mm -hmm. If you looked at her on socials, she's got a couple hundred thousand followers. She's doing great. But like that blog and that email newsletter, because they've done it so well and they understand the format and they they serve that audience, it's very effective. Now, somebody that's like, hey, I'm just going to start a blog and like create kind of like a half-assed newsletter. That's not going to move the needle. So I think you really have to plant your flag on like, what you're going to be affected about and what you're going to spend your time.
2: Also, what I'm hearing, I feel like it has to be a resource. I think yes. it sounds like this-
0: She's a full resource. It's a full
2: resource. I even mm. think Skinny Confidential. It's a resource versus pure inspiration. I think the blogs that are just inspirational, eh, am I going to do gotta that? Got to have value. Got to have, have
1: value. It can't exactly. Be, it can't constantly Goes back be- to time. Don't waste anyone's time. Don't waste anyone's time.
0: And it can't constantly be a push. So many creators are like push, like look at my product, look Agreed. at my brand, look at my email. It's like you're pushing something. It's like- or
1: look what I'm wearing. Look at me. Look, look at, at me. what I'm eating. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my nail color. No, what are the the what is the value for the audience to take away and actually do in their own life? Like got there's got to be a resource. I agree. I also think that
2: is probably the number one way in which most influencers go wrong. Instead of this look at me mentality, it should be. How can I serve you, my Bingo. audience?
0: It's the number one mistake. And like now kind of I've been on both sides, but being on the Dear Media side, like when podcasters come and said, hey, I want to do this. How am I going to make money? It's like no, the answer. Mm-hmm. The, and I've said this 50 times. The question that you should be asking is, how am I going to serve valuable content to my audience? How can
2: I serve my audience and how can I bring them value?
0: It should be audience first, then yourself, then brand last. And I always say that because if you do it that way, everyone's going to get a benefit. But if it's just pushing something for yourself, people are going to be turned off. I say this all
1: the time, but I just think it's really important to reiterate. I did not make $1 for three years, not $1 in my bank account. I did it every day for seven days a week. Now you you got to you can't you can't go into it looking for money. It's it's like going into a relationship like you have to you have to really refine the intention.
2: Absolutely. And I ran a business for 9 years. I put myself on minimum wage to reinvest the money back into the business to take you know to resist taking outside money for as long as possible. Basically was on minimum wage for 9 years.
1: Money is an element. It's not yeah. the it's not the foundation. No. It's an element. Exactly. And I think that's ultimately
2: where entrepreneurs thrive because they're prepared to take that risk and they don't want that immediate payoff.
0: I don't know if I've ever even said this on this podcast, but to this day, I've not taken a single penny in salary from Deer Media. Not one. Yeah. Not one dollar. And I'm the CEO of the company and I operate it every single day and I'm here and nine I to six. I still take your pennies day.
1: from you.
2: Yeah.
0: But I, not <laughs> one. You're getting
1: it from all
2: angles, Not mate. one dollar. Not my problem. <laughs>
0: not $1 out of this company. I put it all yeah. back in, give it to the team, like yeah. build to build the company. Like I think people should understand like the intention here is to build this amazing platform and like totally. sacrifices need to be made to be able to do that.
2: And I think that's where it comes back to coming from a place of passion and creativity because you couldn't come in here if you hated it. You couldn't come in here and not make money. Fuck no. No, you just genuinely enjoy it. It drives you. You know there's an end goal where you're going to make a lot of money in the end. But you're prepared to sacrifice in sure. the interim.
1: Book resource podcast that you can recommend to our audience that has been life-changing for you.
2: Oh, life-changing. That's a big one. It could,
1: could be life-changing in business.
2: Do you pregnancy. know? what? I, oh, 12 hours in 12 weeks. I've just read this book that all my mom friends swear by to get your kid to sleep for 12 hours. I can't vouch for it yet. Sign me up. But everyone says that works. So that probably hopefully will be life-changing. I don't know. I've also swung back to reading fiction again. I think it's, nice. I'm so, I'm so similar to you guys. I'm like reading all these like business books, productivity books, et cetera. And then I think there's this part of your brain that also needs to just be subconsciously stimulated. So the last book I read, I reread Catcher the Rye and I'm like, Great book. It's a fucking great book. Why don't I ever do this? You know?
0: Nostalgic.
2: So
1: nostalgic. I'm going to come up tomorrow morning and on our dining room table is going to be catcher in the rye from him. I know him so well. He's he's already like it. I know him so well.
0: It's on our bookshelf. (laughs) You know, but I think that's don't even have to wait for Amazon Prime. It's it's smart, though, because I think, you know, we like we like to read some of those books, too. But I am constantly reading fiction because you need to disconnect. Yeah. And you still learn stuff from fiction books.
2: I think you learn so much. You just don't even realize you also need to like you need to be able to sit at a dinner party and be an interesting person. Not only business, 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 like that. I don't know. I think abstract ideas come into play in business in the most unexpected ways. So I'm always, I'm just such, I just love people. I love like talking to anyone and everyone. I think you learn so much from different people and different experiences that you do all absorb and, and kind of,
0: mix it up into your own. The most attractive people to me are the ones that you think you're getting something and then they'll just randomly bring up a topic or a subject that you'd be like, well, how the hell do you know about that? And it's, you know, then you feel dumb for what, thinking that they wouldn't know that. But it's yeah. that, that's so interesting when you just think you're going to get something and then they just completely something else.
2: I love anyone who knows about something specific. It doesn't matter if it's like, I just say you just got to be the best at what you do. It doesn't matter if you are... On Wall Street or you run a laundromat like if you know the ins and outs of like running a laundromat and like the chemicals that go into that and like the best way to get the stain out I'm just fascinated by that
0: so
1: you and Michael should have a conversation (laughs) about salt after this he can tell you all about
0: salt I did I get stains out (laughs) I read a book one time only about the history of salt in the world
1: yeah I
2: love it super
0: interesting salt used to be worth more than gold I believe it. That's how that, that was like a, if you had salt on the table, you were rich. Woo! <laughs>
1: give me anything, just don't give me boring. Where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out. Probably the easiest place is on Instagram. Just Rachel Zellick, R-A-C-H-E-L-Z-E-I. And we'll leave it in the show notes. You are hilarious to follow on Instagram story too. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great follow. And a website? No. No, just Instagram at Rachel yeah. Zellick. I like it. Yeah. I'm maybe into it. maybe I need to
2: start a blog I don't know
1: maybe uh, <laughs> a resource we'll have to do a round table with Rumi
2: for sure oh, that'd be a good we one we love getting very specific
1: we'll get very very yeah. Maybe uh, we don't know if we need Michael on this yeah. episode we don't need her his thoughts th- th- th-
2: on okay. salt you also I feel to. like you guys can pick my brains on anything pregnancy related because oh.
0: it's that's have that baby I'm an open book and then take us to Australia yeah and then we can pick your brain about babies exactly, exactly. Michael will
1: pick him. your brain he's ready
0: Lock her down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on. Thanks, babe. Hey, hey, hope you guys love that interview. If you want to win some cute pink TSC stickers, leave your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram at the Skinny Confidential and someone from the team will slide into your DMs and send you guys some. They're so fun to decorate your notebook or your laptop or even your phone or your hydro flask. They're cute. Anyway, as always, we appreciate your attention and we'll see you next time.
0: This episode was brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is your one-stop shop for high-end, high-quality, and highly discounted groceries, supplements, beauty products, household supplies. Thrive Market guarantees its customers 25 to 50% below retail on all items because it cuts out the middleman. Go to thrivemarket.com skinny for 25% off your first order and free shipping. Again, that's thrivemarket.com skinny for 25% off your first order and free shipping. And when you do that, you'll also be taken to Lauren's page so you see everything she just talked about.
1: This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig, and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it, okay? It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3, kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis, so Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny you yeah. yeah.